back on the scene after a respite in Puerto Rico to deliver the following. An avalanche in Colorado has the lightning in familiar territory. Can they dig out of another 0-2 deficit as the series shifts to Tampa tonight? The Warriors flex their muscles over the final three games to reclaim their flag at the top of the NBA mountain. A dynasty? Not so fast, but I'll explain how they did it as they are the champs with a postmortem to my beloved Celtics. The Yankees have been by far the best team in baseball. Are they this good that we could even mention them in the same breath as the 1998 squad? Matt Fitzpatrick wins the U.S. Open, or did Will Zalatoris lose it? Quite a bit to catch up on, and ready to rock as I deliver the latest and greatest in the sports universe. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as we observe Juneteenth here on a Monday, just the day before. That's right, the eve of summer. Just upon us as we look ahead to a long, hot, lazy, and maybe not so crazy summer, depending on where you live. But back after a little bit of a layoff, I'll explain in a little bit, but here to bring you up to date on everything that's happening in the world of sports, you've come to the right place to listen to it all as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as last Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to dive into, I know for starters... People probably wondering what in the hell happened to me on Thursday. I'll get into that. First, I just want to give a shout out to all the fathers out there with a happy belated Father's Day. I hope you enjoyed it. Me, I was in transit. So although the very beginning I was able to do so and with the travel, which was pretty good for me. I know there's been a lot of craziness when it comes to people trying to fly around this country or even all over the world. Thankfully for me, I was able to not only get Onto the plane and off in time, but landed. The cab ride home was a pain in the ass, but I won't get into that. But for those out there who celebrated Father's Day, 
And I hope you enjoyed it with your sons, daughters, wives, girlfriends, etc. So shout out to you dads out there. Also, with the brief respite that I had last week, I did bring all my equipment. I was set to do a podcast that Thursday, and I'm sure a lot of people were wondering, and even yours truly, when I was last in front of this microphone, knowing that this past Thursday had Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals in the books. Of course, Game 6 of an NBA Final, which you know I'm going to get to the first day of the U.S. Open up in Brookline, Mass. So with all that to cover, and you would have thought that Yours truly would have been ready to go, chomping at the bit. Of course, the vacation got the best of me as I went with my dad, my younger brother Ruben, my sister Natalie, and of course, my beloved wife in tow. And with all that was going on, not only just with the exploration of where we were staying at, a stone's throw away from Lukio Beach, one of the more beautiful beaches that you could see here on God's green earth. And being in the moment, staying present, as I like to discuss every now and again, I just felt that the amount of time that would go into putting a podcast, not only just producing it, of course, speaking into this microphone, obviously editing it, of course, writing it, making sure that it's all up on social media was going to take a lot of time. And therefore, I was unable to put forth my midweek podcast that I've been doing so since the beginning of April. So my apologies for those who were expecting to hear what it is I have to say, didn't get to execute that. But here I am today with a full slate. Of course, the U.S. Open golf, which I didn't really watch. I did follow. And yesterday we saw what happened there with Matt Fitzpatrick. Was it more him winning or Will Zalatoris with another second place finish? Remember, last month at the PGA, he finished in second. So here it is now. Of course, the bridesmaid, never the bride. And we'll get into that later on, as well as what's happening in baseball. The Yankees. I know they lost yesterday. They had one nine in a row, and they're on the verge of becoming 50-17. and 17, But they have matched the record, this point of the season, equivalent to the 1998 Yankees. So we're going to talk about that later on. I'm sure for the diehard Yankee fan, they probably fell out of their chair to think there's no way you can compare that team to this one. Obviously, they still have a ton of a season left and a postseason to continue writing this story. But we'll have a little fun with that. Of course, the NBA Finals, which I'll have my postmortem on the Celtics and also praise the Warriors in the process. But a dynasty? I don't think so. I'll get to that, but I want to start off with what's going on currently. And tonight, there will be a Game 3 in Tampa between the Avalanche and Lightning. And what we've seen so far in these first two games, I know the Lightning were probably kicking themselves a little bit. Mind you, I didn't get to watch... The entire game, this was Wednesday night. I'm actually having dinner in Old San Juan. So I didn't really get an opportunity to even go full bore on this game. And the game on Saturday, which I'll get to, there isn't anything to discuss. But with game one where we know the long layoff by the Avalanche. We knew that nine days could be either more rest or maybe more rust. They came flying out of the gate. They took a 3-1 lead at the end of the first period. And you probably thought at that point the Avalanche are going to be off and flying. As it was in the second period, with Braden Point, one of their key goal scorers, if not their top goal scorer throughout the regular season, but surely an irreplaceable player back in their lineup. Remember he had the lower body injury there that he suffered late in the Toronto series, and he was not the same player or pretty much didn't really see him on the ice for the following two series. And having him in the lineup, I'm sure, was a boost. 
As you saw there, they got a couple of goals there midway through the second period where they were able to even the game at three apiece going into that third period on goals by Andre Palat and Mikhail Sergachev. And even with no scoring in the third, you probably thought, here we are into overtime. And that's one thing we haven't seen throughout this postseason is that two or three period overtime, I believe in the very first round, if I'm not mistaken, it could have been between the Penguins and Rangers where game one went into triple overtime. And we pretty much have not had that epic, lengthy, double, triple, quadruple overtime that we pretty much have come to know and love throughout these postseasons over the years. And we haven't really had a lot of overtime games when you think about it. I know the Rangers were involved in quite a few and get it that not every overtime game is going to be deep into the night or maybe into into the next morning than what we've seen here over the last couple decades or so. But just a minute and 23 into the first frame, considering how nip and tuck and close the third period was, Andre Burakovsky gets the overtime goal, which pretty much sent the Avalanche fan home to celebrate a little bit early. And the Avs strike first in the Stanley Cup final. I know that the Lightning fan will probably look at that as a lost opportunity. Again, I don't know the full details of the game since I didn't really watch it. I'm sure you may have had a scenario in the third period where you may have had a post or a golden opportunity for them to score and they weren't able to capitalize. Same for Colorado. But just looking at the game on the outside looking in and getting a feel, just reading the box score and just trying to get a brief description or an idea of how the game played out. To know that the Lightning were unable to get that Game 1 victory, which would have put some pressure on Colorado in Game 2. And who knows? Tampa, we've seen how they performed here in this postseason. Whether it's a lengthy 7-game series with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Granted, they have a ton of baggage. The sweep over the Panthers, the President Trophy winning Panthers. And then a hard-fought, grueling 6-game series where they were down 2-0 and 2-0 in the third period in Game 3, to where they were able to sweep from that point on, and then to get this first game would have been enormous for a Lightning team that's obviously looking ahead for their third straight Stanley Cup victory, which we've discussed ad infinitum, hasn't been done in almost 40 years. And then you fast forward to Game 2 on Saturday night, and what is there to discuss? The Avalanche said, the hell with this, we're going to not only come out like gangbusters, but we're going to put the foot on the neck of this lightning squad to where they will not be able to breathe and they put up a touchdown against Tampa 7-0 Burakovsky with another goal and assist and right now who knows what his status is for game 3 tonight as the scene will shift to Tampa he had left the game it looked like with a wrist injury after he suffered a hit there by a shot from Victor Hedman and he didn't even fly with the team Maybe the swelling was bad, or maybe just from a precaution standpoint, they wanted to make sure that they could get him to Tampa safely. So I believe he was probably en route, whether late last night or maybe even as early as this morning. Who knows what his status will be for tonight's game. But Saturday night was just a blitzkrieg by the Avalanche, and now they're up 2-0 in the series against the Lightning, who have been down this road before, and they even mentioned in the postgame that Series isn't over. Yes, rough game, but there's still plenty of hockey to be played. And I firmly believe that that's the case. Despite the fact that Colorado has pretty much had this playoff in totality, easy, 
Not to say that they had a couple of bumps along the way, in particular the series against the St. Louis Blues. But as I've said before, and I'll say one last time, when you sweep through Nashville and sweep through Edmonton, sandwich that with the Blues series in between, and that was a six-game series that was pretty much stretched to the to the hilt. And the only reason why I say that is because the Avalanche and Blues were looking at an overtime in Game 6 if it wasn't for the heroics there at the end by Darren Helm where he scored that goal with, what, four seconds left. So now that they got another 2-0 series lead in their back pocket, granted against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, but having to do it on the road, and you have to wonder if Colorado is going to have that frenetic pace that they're going to continue to push, they're going to continue to pressure Tampa, and that what we've seen with the Lightning to this point, they know that their backs are up against the wall, We saw it happen in the Rangers series and now we get to see for the whole hockey and obviously sports universe to zero in on because there's nothing else to really watch unless you're going to get into whatever baseball is going to take place in your region. But for the casual sports fan that wants to see a team that they probably haven't really followed or haven't really paid attention to that now they can get a look at what this Tampa Bay Lightning team is all about, you're going to get to see it tonight. And how I feel about it at this very moment, I have to give the Lightning their respect. I'm not going to say that they're going to win a 5-1 type game. I'm sure it's going to be close. I'm sure Colorado knows that despite how well they played throughout this postseason, they know who they're looking at on the other side of the ice. I'm sure they could taste it. But at the same time, I could feel that the job isn't finished. But I have to give the Lightning their just due to think that they're going to put up a a good effort. Quick turnaround time. Obviously, the game is in their building. They have home ice. And even if they don't play from out in front, similar to what they did against the Rangers, if you remember in that game three, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, obviously, this is their time to win because if they lose tonight, the series is over. There's no way they're going to come back from a 3-0 deficit, even against that team. A team that has their own playoff demons and they've slayed some of them but I think Tampa's going to give you an effort tonight to where they're going to get back in the series I think Andre Vasilevsky he's a guy that's going to redeem and bounce back from his performance there on Saturday night and you would only think that the Lightning will have some life will be able to breathe some life into the series because if they get annihilated again tonight or even lose let's say a game where they had to play from uphill and end up losing 5-2 with a couple of empty netters at the end or whatever it may be. Would I be surprised? I can't say no only because of the way Colorado has played, but I have to give Tampa their respect to think that they could at least get back in the series with a victory tonight. After that, to me, it's going to be Colorado's series to lose. Only because of the way they've played, not only just in these first two games, but throughout the whole playoff. I think about this, people. One last time, they have played two games over the minimum to this point. And I'm not going to anoint them as the Stanley Cup champions just yet. And I'm not going to look at the whole playoff picture on a whole. Let's say if they do end up sweeping the Lightning. Because then you got to look at it as this run of being one of the great runs that any team in the history of hockey has had. 16-2, and two, a little premature. I'm not going to go down that road just yet. The only reason why I bring it up is because let's just say they do pull out a game three tonight and then end up sweeping the lightning. 
And it happens. Look at the Islanders. When they were going for five in a row, they lost in five games to the Edmonton Oilers in the last three in the first year of the 2-3-2 format. And I understand that was 38 years ago. I get it, but sometimes these teams run out of gas. And sometimes these long runs, and considering the series that they had against the Rangers, although they won that series on a Saturday night and still had a few days in between to rest up, recover, and play Wednesday in Colorado, thin air, I get that too. Maybe that had something to do with it. But that's why I'm going to give Tampa Bay the benefit of the doubt tonight, considering that they don't have to worry about the altitude. They're in their building. They've been down this road before. And obviously, they have the DNA to prove that they could get back in the series. But at this very moment, again, Colorado is in the driver's seat. So we shall see how tonight plays out. And then, of course, from here on out, it's every other day. Wednesday, game four. Friday, if necessary, in Colorado. Sunday, if necessary, back in Tampa. And then Tuesday night would be a game seven if it goes that far. And a couple of quick coaching notes. The Flyers hired John Tortorella a few days ago. And we know Tortorella, he's a fiery guy, old school guy. I'm sure if you are a player on a team in that first year, you want to go through a brick wall. But after a year, two, maybe three, it starts to get a little bit tiresome. Of course, remember he was a Stanley Cup winning coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning back in 2004. Since then, he's bounced around Rangers, Vancouver. He's pretty much been all over the map. So I'm sure the old school Flyer fan will love to have Tortorella as a guy that's going to be no-nonsense, take-no-prisoners type of approach. And you can't look down the road to see how long that that will last before he wears out his welcome, but I think that's a big hire in trying to change the makeup and the attitude and culture of the Flyers as we once knew it. Not to say that they're going to be the Broad Street Bullies a la 1975 to, let's say, the early to mid-90s, but you get the drift. And then the Vegas Golden Knights hired former Bruin coach Bruce Cassidy as Cassidy went in there and was pretty much trying to do whatever it takes to win over the organization, fan base, city, etc. I didn't read his exact quote, but pretty much he was saying how he wants to bring a Stanley Cup there to Vegas and had all the pom-poms broken out, the black and I guess it's gold of the... Golden Knights, so he's raring to go, excited to try to get that team back to a cup final since its inaugural year back in 2018. So those are your couple of coaching hires. Nothing yet with Barry Trotz. I know a lot of teams out there have been clamoring for services, whether it could be maybe even the Florida Panthers. Obviously, with the way they fizzled in their postseason against the Lightning, bringing a guy like that, defensive-oriented to go along with their offense. Even the Winnipeg Jets, that's also been a team that's been rumored. So who knows where the former Islander and one-time Stanley Cup winning coach of the Capitals ends up. So that's another name that we have to keep a lookout for here in the days and weeks to come with the NHL. Now, as I take off my skates and put on my high tops, let's get right to it. This NBA final, which ended in a thud. Let's call it as we see it. Same for the whole playoffs in particular. And I talked about it in the past, and I won't go through all the series, but this was an NBA final that a lot of people were looking forward to considering that it was the Celtics and what they bring to the table. And then obviously Golden State in the last decade plus 
well, I would say the last decade. I won't go as far as that. And what they mean, not only to the basketball landscape, but obviously for the sports fans' imagination to know that you have these two powerhouse franchises going up against one another. And last week at this time, I was discussing a Game 5 where the Celtics squandered that final few seconds in game number four where they had a 94-90 lead and that's going to be the theme here especially when I talk about the Celtics in my postmortem. but the game five where the Celtics were down 16 in the first half they came back from that deficit into the third quarter where they started to shoot the lights out of the ball a bunch of three-pointers in fact they started the game where they didn't hit their first three-pointer until about 450 go in the second quarter I believe they went 0 for 11 to start and as they fought back into the game and into the second half to where they made, I believe, nine straight three-pointers. Or eight, I know for sure. And then here it was as they had a five-point lead, I believe 66-61 was the biggest lead that they had. And then they jockeyed for position from that point on. I know Clay hit a three to make it 66-64. Then you had a bunch of points being scored by both teams during that stretch. And then came the end of the third quarter to where the Celtics had a lead. I believe it was 74-68. And then you had a three. No, I believe you had a two-point play. And then you had a three by Curry, followed by Jordan Poole making a two, and then had that desperate three that he had similar to the end of the third quarter in game two, where he banked it 75-74, At the time, I thought hopefully that's not going to be the catalyst to push this team to a big lead in the fourth quarter. And what you saw there was exactly that. After Poole hit that shot, the Warriors were off and running. And the Celtics had no answer, whether defensively, whether even offensively, as they continue to cough up the ball left and right. And again, I'll get to the turnovers and everything about the Celtics afterwards. But even as Jason Tatum had 27-10 and 10 in the game, it wasn't consistent, pretty much forgotten when you think about it. And Jalen Brown's inconsistency at that point and his streakiness is pretty much a better word, where he couldn't get going, obviously did not play well in that game five. The sloppy play, the turnovers were just too much. And not only that, but he also shot terribly from the free throw line, so that didn't help. In fact, with about... A minute and a half to go, I actually turned my set off because I was just so frustrated and aggravated by this their terrible play down the stretch and how they didn't show up in that fourth quarter. And that's not like me to do that, but I had just seen enough. I had to avert my eyes. How I looked at it was, was that this was a time where the Celtics, who after a loss, finally got a loss under their belt because you remember they were 7-0 in this postseason after a loss. So we threw that in the garbage and I even felt if they were going to do that, Get it out of their system now because let's say if they would have won that game and came back to Boston and then let's say lost the game six, they would have been, what, at that point 8-0 to then go into a game seven? Obviously, this is all moot. But my point is, is that with that stat out of the way, going home, having a chance to push this to a game seven in front of their home crowd in their last home game of the season, I thought that they were going to rebound in a big way. And it certainly started off that way considering they came out of the gate 12-2 run, I believe 14-2 overall when I think about it. And as it was, they needed to get off to that good start. 
Granted that there was still a whole game to go, but you would think that with the momentum of the crowd and the momentum of their play and just getting the stink of games four and five off to know that the Warriors weren't going to come out and try to steal the title in the first five minutes of the game. But as we all know, that could be very overrated when it comes to hot starts because at the point where it was 22-16 with about three minutes to go in the first quarter, the Warriors went on an 11-0 run to close out the quarter to make it 27-22 and then start off the third quarter with a 10-0 run. Combine that, 21-0 run. The Celtics were scuffling at that point, had no answers. They couldn't withstand that right hand based on the right hand that they threw at the Warriors to start off the game. From that point on, you knew that it was going to be a treacherous fight to scratch and claw to get back in the game. And as we saw with Golden State, with their youth and experience, and give credit to Steve Kerr, the coach, by putting in the right players at the right time, whether it's game four, not putting in Draymond Green for most of that fourth quarter, sparingly using Jordan Poole, because when you look at his numbers from the start of the postseason, even up to the conference final, he had made significant contributions, not only with points, but also with minutes. And here, from the very beginning, Poole was not a factor in those two of the first three games. I understand game two, he got off a little bit with those threes, and then it was pretty much garbage time to where he added on to his stat sheet there in the fourth quarter of game two. But not really having an impact of the series, but you did see late with Poole. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins was just phenomenal. There's no other way to cut it. Not only his Game 4 performance, but his Game 5 performance with 26 points, 16 rebounds, the defense on Tatum. What more could you say from him? Draymond Green, who had more of a Draymond Green type of game in Game 6, where he made a couple of three-pointers, was 5 for 10 from the field, 12 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, was involved in the offense. And that's the Draymond Green that a lot of people feel could be that Hall of Fame player. To me, as I've said before, and I'll say one last time, he is not. But give it up for Draymond, him bouncing back from his poor performances early on in the series to have that game six close out the way he did. And am I missing anybody else? I know Klay Thompson did not shoot well in the game, five for 20, but we know about his journey with the injuries and coming all the way back for him being a champion. Steve Kerr with his coaching. And last but not least, and I haven't even mentioned his name when you think about it, is Steph Curry. The legacy cemented, you could say, because he did win that first title in the 2014-2015 season. Yes, I know the Cavs didn't have Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love. This was before Kevin Durant got there. So with him not winning the NBA Finals MVP that year, and then we know about the following year, 73-9, and they lose to the Cavaliers, which goes on his resume. So I don't want to hear people dismiss that or let's say even have this title make up for the 73-9 season because in that fourth quarter, he was awful. Throwing behind the back passes with five minutes to go in the game. Him having one-on-ones against Kevin Love, not trying to break him down, but shooting three-pointers over him late in the game. He imploded down the stretch. And I get it, today's not the day to bring up his peccadillos or to bring up the bad part of his resume But it has to be included here when we're talking about his legacy. Obviously, the two titles back-to-back with Durant. 
Of course, there's no fuss there. He was the ultimate teammate. But on top of that, it was Kevin Durant who had to pretty much come save the day, especially on the heels of what happened the year prior when they lost to the Cavs in that seven-game series to where no team in the history of the league came back from a 3-1 deficit and obviously the Cavaliers did to win their championship first ever and obviously for that city. The series against the Raptors, it was pretty much all him. We know Thompson getting hurt in game six. Obviously not having Kevin Durant until game five and then he blows out his Achilles. We know what happened there. We can't put it all on Curry at that point. And then we look at the last two years, lost year with the pandemic. They only won 15 games and he was hurt for most of that year. And then also last year, not winning the playing tournament against Memphis. He gets a little bit of a knock. I got to go back and look at the stats of that game. But now here he is with the series that he had notwithstanding game 5, 0 for 9 from 3, and they still won the game. But him having that epic 43-point performance, which pretty much sealed the deal for the Celtics from that point on, in a game that they absolutely had to win. And then, of course, capped that off with his 6 for 11 from 3, 34-point effort there in game number 6, deservedly getting the NBA Finals MVP for the first time in his career. And now he could erase all the doubts, the naysayers, that say he couldn't win without Kevin Durant, despite him winning that first title, as I mentioned back in 2014, 2015. But now it's all complete. Pretty much what he does from here forward, we're going to have to keep an eye on, because it's not as if he's going to walk off into the sunset right this minute, but we all know Curry has elevated himself amongst the pantheon of great players. Is he top 10 all time, which everybody wants to rush and put him on that level? For me... You could probably put him anywhere between 10 and 20. Or I should say 11 and 20. Because in my estimation, as of right this second, he does not crack the top 10. And I get it. Transcendent. We know about his shooting. He's the GOAT all time in that department. No argument there. But when you talk about the likes of Russell, Wilt, Kareem, Oscar, West, and those would be probably the two guys that you could argue whether or not you could take one of those guys out but to me it's kind of hard to take out Oscar who was the triple double before any of the triple doubles came into our consciousness and then Jerry West is a logo and I understand he lost a million finals to the Celtics but Jerry West that's all you got to say Magic, Bird, Jordan, LeBron, Duncan that's your top 10 right there and before people can say oh you can't put Duncan in there Duncan's the greatest power forward that ever lived, by far. And if he's the greatest in that position, he belongs in the top 10. And we know about his resume. So Curry, and I get it, for all of his accolades and everything that I mentioned just a few seconds ago, can you argue that he could be in the top 10? You could argue that, but it doesn't mean he's deserving of it. Because he still has to get over the likes of Kobe Bryant, Hakeem Olajuwon, you want to throw in even Shaquille O'Neal. And I understand different positions, understood. But those are three guys that you can argue whether or not for their careers that if Curry's better than those three guys. And I can mention a few others along the way as well, but I only mentioned those three because Kobe is Kobe. Do I need to say any more? Shaq, four titles, dominant big man, especially of his era. And Hakeem Olajuwon, who schooled Shaq in the 95 finals, and we know is arguably the fourth best center of all time behind Wilt, Kareem, and Russell. 
So Curry, as of right this second, to me, is not a top 10 player of all time. So let's put that to rest. And then as far as the Warrior dynasty, I do not want to hear it. It is not a dynasty. There's no gap involved where they last won a title in 2017, 2018, and then to have three years off to then win again. I get it. It's four in eight years. Understood. You want to look at their three and four as that run being a dynasty? I'll give you that. But to tack this on to what happened there three years ago and beyond, they're not a dynasty. That's like talking about the Spurs dynasty, where yes, throughout a 20-year gap, they were dominant, they were consistent, and we know all the titles that they won, but when they were stretched out the way they were, 99, 03, 05, 07, and 14, they're not really a dynasty. Same for the Warriors, I'm sorry. Four and eight is not cutting into my book. And I'm a hard market when it comes to that because me growing up, when we talk about dynasties, and this is just me while I was alive. I could go back to the Montreal Canadiens in the 50s. I could go back to the Celtics in the 50s and 60s as well. But when I think dynasties, you think four and six with the Steelers. And even then, I get it. They sandwiched those two Super Bowl victories, nine and 10, 13 and 14 with the two years in between that they didn't win. But still, it was a dominant run. But even bigger and better than that, four straight cups, 19 straight playoff series by the New York Islanders, five cups in seven years by the Edmonton Oilers, and you want to say four and five, I'll even give you that, because the other cup that they won was without Gretzky. The Patriot dynasties, I'll give you three and four years, even the Cowboys in the 90s, I'll give you that. Yankees, four and five years, and three in a row, no ifs, ands, buts about it, and even made it to a World Series in 2001, if you want to count that. I understand they didn't win. Same for the Islanders, as they were going for their drive for five, the 19th straight series, they lost to Edmonton, as I mentioned earlier. But to me, those are dynasties. Teams that were dominant for a stretch, whether it was three straight years, all right, I'll give you three and four years, four straight years, that no if ands, buts, babies about it. No argument. Four and eight years? I'm not giving that to you. Sorry. Do your homework. Go back in the history books and look at those teams that I mentioned and then you're going to say, ah, they were dominant for a stretch. A team that won 15 games two years ago, sorry, cannot be lumped into that four and eight year dynasty. No. Not this guy. You want to go ahead and do that? That's up to you. I'm a hard marker when it comes to this stuff, so you can forget about it. They are not a dynasty in my eyes. And now onto the Celtic postmortem. There really isn't much to say here other than let's go back. A four-point lead is by any means not insurmountable. But with 518 to go at 94-90, and still the game is up in the air. But they were unable to make shots. To me, it was the opposite of what we saw in game one where not only did they play hero ball, but they couldn't make a shot down the stretch. Everything was threes. Everything was just chuck it up and see if it would make it to the bottom of the net. And as we know, they ended up losing that game and therefore lost the rest of that series to where we saw during that 21-0 stretch, and not to say that that was where the Celtics gave up, or lacked fight. But that's when you knew 
deep in your gut that the gas tank was pretty much on empty. Not just physically, but psychologically, emotionally, etc. It just broke him. What you saw there from Tatum in a game seven, and he's the first guy I got to point to. We could talk all about what he did throughout this postseason, and we have done so on this podcast, so I'm not going to repeat it. But this has to be a gigantic, bitter pill, but also at the same time, a learning lesson that I'm sure he's going to go into the summer repeating over and over in his head how to get better, how to get stronger, and not just physically, but also mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Because what we saw there by the Warriors in those last couple of games, especially that game number six to where he only scored 13 points. Yes, he had a couple of threes off the start in that opening run, but he was nowhere to be found to the point where late in the game where he had a wide open three and he ended up traveling because you could just tell he was like a deer in headlights. It was just a tough final stretch here for a guy who had carried his team on his back at times. We know about Milwaukee game six, the Heat series showing his moments there, especially late in that series. And in the NBA Finals, he was unable to come close to what he did in the two rounds prior. Jalen Brown, I know it was a valiant effort there in Game 6, but he was way too streaky, way too sloppy with the ball. The Celtics need to get a ball handler in the worst way, and we get it that point guards, the quintessential point guard does not grow on trees, nor is there ever such a thing in this day and age. Understood. But they need to have another guy who's going to be sure-handed ball handler to the point where he's not going to cough up the ball or try to attack the basket and then fling the ball dangerously across to where it could easily be intercepted and go the other way. That's what we've seen with this team time after time after time down the stretch and killed him in this final. Marcus Smart in that final game, another one that was on fumes and did not perform well. Horford actually had a very good game, six. We know that he's not going to be consistent with his point totals. He's going to have his moments, but he's not one that you have to completely rely on. And the other thing his team's going to have to work on this offseason is to fortify that bench because Derek White was pretty much Casper the Ghost in these final few games. Peyton Pritchard the same. Not that you're expecting a lot out of him, but what we have seen of him, especially in the... Milwaukee and Miami series was a guy that came off the bench and did give you offense, did not do that in this series at all. I guess minus a couple of moments there in game one, but since then, uh uh-uh, nowhere to be found. Grant Williams, he has to go back in the lab big time if he wants to be considered just a a good all-round player. Yes, he does bring some ferocity, defense, intensity, and yes, he did have his flourishes where he did make a bunch of threes a la game seven against Milwaukee. But he definitely has to work on his game big time in order for him to be a solid, I'm not even say good, a solid two-way player. And they need to get some reinforcements in the worst way. And to me, they need another wingman to give a blow to both Tatum and Brown because they cannot carry four rounds by themselves as we've seen here. And despite Brown and what he did in that final game, obviously he couldn't do it all by himself. And the coach, first year, I'm sure he learned a lot. And I'm sure he learned a lot just by looking across the sideline and seeing what Kerr deployed and how he displayed 
his team, the success that they had in those final three games. And you could only hope that Brad Stevens will be able to dial up a couple of big trades. They do not have a number one pick as they swap that with San Antonio for Derek White. They do have a pick swap down the road, but for this year, uh uh-uh. So maybe Brad Stevens gets a little bit creative here with free agents and who to bring onto this team, but they definitely do need whether they could get another good point guard who could handle the ball and also another wing player. It would be enormous for this team. It would also help to have a guy who has won a title to bring their experience to the Celtics, but we all know that isn't going to be easy because those guys don't grow on trees either. And overall, it was a wonderful magic carpet ride. I would have never thought in January that they would have made it to a game six to an NBA final, let alone an NBA final. And as we saw pretty much from game one, where the Tatum layup there at the buzzer on Easter Sunday led to them bottoming out on their home floor, only the second time they lost an NBA final in their building, the first time being in 85 to the Lakers as they slayed those demons between those two long rivals. I understand you could hold your head up high. I know it's still tough even 96 hours after the fact, but there is no guarantee that this team's going to get back there next year. And obviously, there's still a lot of work for this team that needs to get those players that I mentioned, or those type of players, to their roster in order for them to make another deep run. Because you know Milwaukee's going to be good next year. Brooklyn, they're going to be on a mission, you would think. Now, we got to wonder what the soap opera is going to be with Kyrie and if Kevin Durant, although he signed, but does he request a trade? Who knows? The Heat, you think they're a wing player away from getting back to a final. You still have to see what Chicago's going to do, maybe even Philadelphia, though you don't trust them 100%. But it's not going to be easy. Great run indeed. They didn't put the cherry on top. And for me, knowing that the window is opening, and I discussed this with my cousin JD about this, and I'm going to see if I can get him on maybe in the days to come, but I just still think 94-90 up two games to one was just a lost opportunity for them to win a title against a team that was better. But going into this final, a lot of people thought that because they were bigger, had that size, and had the toughness and physicality that they were going to win an NBA championship. And as we saw, the roles were reversed. And just knowing that they have a lot of work to do, and next year is not a guarantee, just makes that opportunity lost, one that we're going to have to sit and stew, not only all summer long, but until they get back to that point, and maybe hoist that trophy above their heads. All right, now let's uh, exchange my high tops for some cleats here as we turn our attention to baseball. And to me, there's one storyline that I want to talk about, and not because the team plays in my backyard and I'm going to be objective. Of course, people are probably going to think if J. Reel's going to start talking about the Yankees, you know he's going to throw a little shade or maybe be a little spicy toward this Yankee team. And yes, although I do like to tweak the Yankee fan, and fairly and objectively, I will say that, Because I got a call like I see it. I'm certainly not going to have my bias against them to just automatically throw cold water on certain scenarios or stretches or things of that nature. I did come on last week to discuss how we could throw the garbage out. 
We could say goodbye to the Cubs. We could say goodbye to the Angels. We could say goodbye to the Tigers, the Orioles, even the Twins. And I get it. You got to give a little bit of dap to the Twins because they are in first place. But the Yankees always abuse the Twins. Always. So with all that aside, and granted, I got a little smoke from people on TikTok. Granted that the Yankees have fared well against the Rays after the split that took place down in Tampa where the Yankees got the first two games and the Rays got the back two. And then they beaten up on Toronto after the first series where Toronto came into Yankee Stadium. And since then, the Yankees have performed well against the Blue Jays to where this past week, you had the Rays come into Yankee Stadium for three games and then they went to Toronto for three. And all they did was come within an inning of sweeping all six games. Yesterday, I get... You could look at and say we had an 8-3 lead. They came back after a grand slam and then Teoscar Hernandez with the three-run homer there to put themselves in a position to win 10-9. And yes, that may be a tough defeat. You wanted that streak to continue to roll along. They had won nine games in a row going up to yesterday's performance. And even though they lost that game with the sizable lead, all is right in Yankee land because they are 49-17. and Best record in the sport. Since their 7-6 and six start, do the math, 42-11. 31 games over 500. And a stretch that was matched, as we talked about, that was comparable to the 2001 Mariners, who were 116-46 that year. But we all know, and especially the Yankee fan knows, how their season ended. So the first thing I thought of after they won nine in a row, and I was actually on the flight back yesterday from Puerto Rico, where I compared this team to, dare I say, the 1998 Yankee team. And we all know, 98 Yankees, 114 and 48, overall 125 and 50, breeze through the postseason. Although they did have a little bit of a hiccup, they were down two games to one to the Indians, and the Indians were a very good team in the mid-90s, but the Yankees then won three straight. And then swept the Padres to claim their second World Series in three years and to be listed as one of the greatest teams in the history of the sport. So I went back and looked. And would you know that when you wake up on this day, 49-17, and that when you go back 24 years ago, that the Yankees of that year had the same record at this time. They were also 49-17. And now the Yankees go to Toronto for three starting tonight. And then they play the Astros for four. So I mentioned that this 13-game stretch where they would be maybe tested a little bit. They're currently 5-1. and And you would think that the beat will go on even in Tampa. And then come home to face the Astros. Which would be very interesting to say the least. But to go back to that 98 squad. And the only reason why I bring it up. And I'm not trying to throw a reverse jinx. Oh, I'm not trying to cast a spell to think that this team could be just as good of, or if not better than the 98 team. But the only reason why I say that is because their pitching has been outstanding. I mean, who would have thought that Jamison Tyon would be 8-1 and at this stretch? We know about nasty Nestor Cortez, 6-2. and His whip is 0-9-5. And his ERA is what, under 2? Even Jordan Montgomery, his whip is under one. I understand he's three and one. He's pretty much your fifth starter. But if he's your fifth starter, considering you have Cole at the top, 
and Cole's had his moments, but we know that he's a stud, although October's a big, giant question mark, and that's the truth. Not throwing cold water, that's just the truth. Luis Severino, who's pitched very well, had a couple of bumps here, but you expect that, especially with two long off-seasons or two long seasons of being injured for the most part. And yes, slowly but surely, he was brought in at the end of last year. I get that. But with Cole, Tyon, Cortez, Severino, and Montgomery, and you want to put Clay Holmes in the back of the bullpen, and his ERA right now, I believe, is, you can't even see it even under a microscope. It's .28. Clay Holmes. Where have you gone, Mariano Rivera? (laughs) Is he the second coming? Remains to be seen, but Clay Holmes has done the job and then some, which you'd have to wonder if you're Aaron Boone. Once Aroldis Chapman is healthy, I don't care how much money he's making, put him in the eighth inning. And you tell him that right off the bat. Because you got to continue to go with your hot hand because if Chapman comes back and let's say blows a close game against a big opponent, they're going to be calling for Chapman to be off the mound, let alone probably out of the building. If Holmes continues to perform the way he has and Chapman comes back to his usual walk the ballpark and give up three runs on one hit because he was able to not locate his fastball or unable to get people out with a slider. But the Yankees, not only just clicking on all cylinders, but I had to look to see where the 98 Yankees were at this point and were over two months into the season. And still a lot of baseball to be played. I get that. But the Yankee pitching where I get it. Even the biggest Yankee hater like myself could look at it and say, ah, Nestor Cortez will come back to earth. Same with Jamison Tyon. Cole, we got to wait till October, but you know he's going to have his moments where he's going to give up four runs in two and a third innings with six hits and a couple of walks. Get all that. But that can happen to any team. But here's why I think that the clock may not strike 12 on the aforementioned Tyon and Cortez this year. It's because sometimes these pitchers have these type of years. Yes, they're going to be allowed a bad start or two down the stretch. You're going to need to see a four or five game canvas to where if these pitchers are either going to hit a wall or maybe suffer some dead arm to where you could probably think, ah, now you got to wonder whether or not the glass slipper is not going to fit for these guys. But generally in a year where it's been magical to this point and they what, have a 12-game lead in the division? So they're pretty much starting off to run and hide in the AL East? Unless I see that big stretch of games where they're going to fall off, sometimes it's just your year. Sometimes you're going to ride hot until the end of the year. That's not to say Cortez is going to end up being 18-4 and or Tyon's going to win 20 games. Or Montgomery is going to be a guy where he's going to have an ERA well under three with a whip that's 095. We still have to wait to see how it's going to play out, but I don't think this is going to reverse with the flick of a switch. I don't think Cortez is all of a sudden going to end up being 12 and 10 and an ERA around four. Will teams start to figure him out as the year goes on? I could see that. And Tyon, we've seen him be up and down, although he has a lot of ability. But maybe this is a year where it's going to be up for him, as we've seen so far. And now that we're, well, more than two months into the season, 
Comparing them to the 98 Yankees, yes, maybe blasphemous and a bit premature. But they're on this type of clip to where they're going to win in upwards of 105, maybe even 110 games. Now, barring injury or barring just, I'm not going to say a collapse. I won't go as far as that. But injuries, especially to their pitching staff or to their big key players. We know Aaron Judge is having an MVP type season. We know Anthony Rizzo, despite him batting, what, 230, but he's a guy that's going to bring leadership and stability to that lineup and that lefty stick that they need. Throwing what Stanton does, even though DJ LeMayu has not had anything close to what he's had his first two years as a member of the Yankees, but we know that he's a guy that could be dangerous in a big spot. And to me, it's all based on their pitching because you know they're going to hit. Now, are they going to hit in big spots like they haven't been able to do so in October? That also remains to be seen. But right now, this team is going to run and hide in the AL East by far and get themselves ready for October. And as we all know, when it comes to the Yankees, that's what it's all about. Because just like that 98 team, let's just say for argument's sake, if they lost to the Indians, nobody would have remembered that 98 team the same that they do not remember the 2001 Mariners, who won two more games than the Yankees did in 98. And you see what that got them. And to me, that's your baseball story. Because other than that, yes, you have some injuries here, whether it's Ozzie Albies with that foot injury that he suffered from a swing of all things. It's not as if he got hit or slid into second and suffered this injury. So who knows what's going to happen with him. Manny Machado and the Padres are doing well, but he turned an ankle there on a ground ball yesterday afternoon in Colorado. We know... Fernando Tatis is not coming back in the immediate future, so to have Machado out, who is also a front runner for the NL MVP, we'll see how damaging that ankle is going to be. And throughout baseball, as I take a look, baseball has been rather quiet since a week ago when I was last in front of this mic. Yankees are 11 games, I may have said 12, 11 games out of the Blue Jays. So you can forget about that. We'll have to look at the wild card from that point on. The White Sox are still struggling here as they can't seem to find their rhythm and get their season on track. Even the Guardians have played very well and you got to give it up to them as they're just a game behind the Twins. If there's one thing we got to look at, give it up to Francona. But how long will this be sustainable? That remains to be seen. And if you're going to ask me, I don't think that's going to be the case. But you got to give it up and give respect to Francona for what he's done here. As they're 6 over 500. And the Astros are in good shape out west. As they're 11 games in the, ahead in the loss. Over the Angels and 9.5 in the division. National League. The Mets. Who have won 2 out of 3 against the Marlins. They do play the Marlins tonight. In a wraparound 4 game series. No news on the Grom or Scherzer just yet. I believe Scherzer is starting to toss. But we may not see him for a couple of weeks. As his injury has now been a month over, a couple of days and a month over his last outing from where we saw him on the City Field mound there on May 18th. Phillies, I know, have played well up until yesterday. They have won 14 of 15. And even though now they're four over, where at one point I believe they were eight under 500, but still eight in a loss in the division behind the Mets, where the Braves are five and a half, but five in a loss. Brewers, Cardinals, Brewers who also had been struggling, even leaving City Field losing two out of three, but they were able to sweep over the weekend 
against the Reds. So now they're deadlocked even in the NL Central at 38-30. and And then the Padres, Dodgers, although they're a half game behind the Dodgers in the NL West, but they do have a couple of games in hand. And with Machado, we got to wait and see. And then you have the Giants followed up by that. And that's pretty much a baseball. So the Guardians have done some good things since the last time we spoke. Everything else seems to be pretty much where it's at. The Braves have cooled off. They won 15 in a row. And it looks like they were never going to lose. And even though the Mets have done well and they have not inched closer, although they pretty much are where they were a week ago today. But that's a race we're going to see that's going to come down, I would think, to the very end. Because as I said a few weeks back, the Braves and Mets have 15 games to play and they still don't meet up for another three and a half weeks. Their first matchup in Atlanta will be July 11th because the Mets have not visited the Dirty South at all this year. The only four games they played was a four-game series early on in May where they split four games. So we will definitely take a peek at that as we get closer to July and obviously the All-Star break, which is still another month out. And then lastly with the golf, as I tee it up here, obviously being away, I did not really get my fingers on the pulse of this tournament. I saw a little bit at the airport yesterday and I tried to follow where you had Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, Matt Fitzpatrick, all jockeying for the top spot there at the leaderboard, knowing that this is the final day at the U.S. Open. And what we have there at the end, which looked like we were headed for a playoff, but Will Zalatoris, who finished second in the PGA just last month, was unable to make a putt, which would have led to another playoff, which we had last month against Justin Thomas. But what we have right now is Matt Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open. And although you got to give him credit for winning the tournament, but Zalatoris, and think about this, he would have gotten into a second straight playoff. And we know what happened last month against Justin Thomas, that if by any chance it would have come down to them two, I would have felt confident that Zalatoris would have been able to win and finally get that first major victory under his belt. As it was because his putter failed him, and Fitzpatrick was able to come out victorious. I don't know if this is going to be psychological for Zalatoris moving forward. There is one more major next month. That would be the Open in St. Andrews, the British, formerly known as. And who knows what the weather's going to be like. We always know it's going to be blustery and gray, and the elements will certainly play a factor, but that's for then, and this is now. But Zalatoris has to be sick to his stomach, and did not get a wink of sleep last night, and probably won't until the British Open. He even said it in the post-match interview, and I quote, that this one in particular hurts pretty hard. He said he was three shots away from practically being, or having a chance of being a three-time major champion, a bounce here or there, and that goes back, I'm sure, to the Masters off the top of my head a few years back, a couple years back. Well, really not, I go back to 2019. Because obviously 2020, Dustin Johnson won in November, pandemic, etc. And for him to just finish in second place in back-to-back majors, for him not to be able to sink that putt, he actually thought he had the putt as it was going toward the hole there on 18 to where he thought with about six feet to go that it was going to sink. And then the next thing you know, it does not. And then Fitzpatrick comes in, wins your tournament, And sadly, that's pretty much what I could say about it because, again, in transit and with the way the weekend unfolded, I wasn't really able to get a full grasp of what took place. 
I know Phil Mickelson did not make the cut as he was plus 11 on the first 36 holes. Who knows with the whole live golf thing swirling over his head and a lot of the pressure behind that that maybe it got between his ears to where he did not perform well in Brookline at the country club during those first two rounds. And we all know that the live golf thing, and I won't go down that rabbit hole, but we know the controversy swirling around that. Players who have jumped ship to make more money and to have that stage to make up to nine figures. The Dustin Johnson of the world, obviously Phil Mickelson among a few others. So his poor performance and a place where he's unable to win. That's been the one bugaboo in Mickelson's career, him not winning that U.S. Open where he's got plenty of Masters, the PGA, and the British in his back pocket, but the U.S. Open was the one that eluded him, and the golf gods certainly did not show him any favors or did not try to have him go into a weekend where he could be close to or near the top of the leaderboard, and he was long gone from the tournament past Friday. And let's see if Zal Torres, if this is going to have any effect for him moving forward, especially with one more major to go, as if this will take place this time next month. And even though I took my talents to Puerto Rico over the weekend, with that, I'm not going to have a hero zero for the week. And in fact, I've actually been thinking about this for quite some time. And for those out there that listen, I wonder if you like my hero in Zero of the Week, I'm actually going to post it up on social media here in the coming days and I'll get to where you could find me on those platforms. But I don't know if a hero zero is something that, not to say I'm not going to look forward to or not going to put forth every Monday. I know one of my dear listeners, I'll give him a shout. My guy, John Guerrero, he said, ah, keep it in there. He's one of my guys going back to the very beginning. But I want to kind of get a feel for what everybody else thinks. Of course, on Thursday, I'm not going to have that. But for right this very moment for this podcast, I'm not going to have a hero in zero of the week. So I'll cut right to it, people. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for understanding me not releasing a podcast there last Thursday. But you know for sure I will be back at it this coming Thursday to talk anything and everything, whether it's Stanley Cup Finals, as we'll have a couple of games to talk about tonight and Wednesday night. NBA Draft is also... On Thursday, so we could touch a little bit on what's going on there. Whatever's happening in baseball and anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports, you know I got you covered. I appreciate you stopping by. It does not get taken for granted. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. We want to increase the visibility as I look forward to having some guests in the near future. I'm working fast and furious behind the scenes now that I'm back in the New York groove. And I'm hoping to see if I can get a few on deck for the month of July. So stay tuned for that. So if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Also, follow me on TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. And if you have any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could hit me up on any of those aforementioned sites or the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com. Slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. I love to critique, praise with all of my thoughts, opinions, analysis on anything and everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, 
ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>